Welcome to Requiem of the Outcast, coming to you live via your computer every month, bringing all the best in fan audio, web reviews, and all the tips and tricks for creating and promoting your projects. We're here to help you tell Hollywood, hey, nice try, but we'll take it from here. Hello and welcome to Requiem of the Outcast. This is our writer's edition. We've got interviews with Stephen Ewan Cobb. Mr. Davey Beauchamp, who is with us here right now. I am here. Beauchamp. And, uh, Beauchamp. <laughs> and we're also going to be uh, playing the interview uh, with Alan Dean Foster. Who I had dinner with, and I had no idea who he was. And we <laughs> talked about Futurama and the family guy and how cool that show was. But then later I found out who he was. And I was you like, know, oh, that's cool. You know, he's written a few books. <laughs> I know. I found that out later. <laughs> I had no exactly, clue. He's actually sold some, too. Yeah. A few. Yeah, just a few. Yeah, I know. Exactly. You know, I just have a cover. <laughs> the only guy in the world who's able to get by at every con he ever goes to with just a cover. <laughs> Starting with our first interview uh, for the episode is with Stephen Ewan Cobb. Now, this gentleman, he has two books out, Plague at Red Hook, as well as the upcoming... Uh, Bones Burnt Black, which we uh, got advanced copies of, first edition signed. They were awesome. How was the book? Uh, it phenomenal. Was incredible. Because I, I, we were ta- I talked to him up in the break room, or I guess the con suite, um, and it just sounded incredible. Uh, actually, it was me and Earl talking to him about it. We, uh, in the last episode, we had a review of his book, my wife and I, and, uh, and just had nothing but good things to say about it because it was an incredible book. Incredible book. The science in it is good. The... the development of the plot and the characters good uh, it's kind of a mixture between a, a, murder, a murder mystery and, uh, yeah. and a sci-fi novel yeah. it's, it's incredible yeah I'm actually really looking forward to that book um, he sold me when he told me this is a plot I was just like man that's pretty cool yeah yeah, yeah, very cool. So I'm actually looking really looking forward. I'm pretty sure that he's going to email me because we've actually you know sent a few emails back and forth since that con. So he's looking forward to my book. I'm looking forward to his book. Um, I'm sure which one's going to come out first. Just one book love fest, one giant book love fest. Yeah, but but the cool thing is, is you know I'm just pulling this off with a cover. A cover. Yes, we, right. we will get to that yeah. into your interview. <laughs> <laughs> now, Stephen, uh, Stephen Ewan Cobb, you can find his website at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Cobb, C-O-B-B dot com. You can find a sample chapter of Bones Burnt Black there, as well as a sample chapter from uh, Plague at Red Hook. I uh, really suggest uh, he's a, a new writer, but he, he writes like he's got about 50 books under his belt. Really a phenomenal writer. Yes, he does. I, and, and as I said in, in the last episode, I can't wait to see. He's already a great writer. I can't wait to see what he develops into. Because it's going to be phenomenal. And we had fun interviewing him, and I hope you enjoy it too. Hello, everybody. We are with Stephen E. Cobb. And you are the author, the current author of Bones Burnt Black, and you also had a uh, book previous to this, which was called Plague at Red Hook. Plague at Red Hook. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to start with a little bit of information about you. Now, your middle initial is E, and it has a very. Uh, your middle name is what, and what is what is special about this name? Uh, well, my middle name is Ewan, uh, spelled E-U-I-N, which for a long time I thought was a Gaelic word that means young. I've recently discovered that the word actually is much older than that and goes back to around 600 A.D. Um, there's a reference to it involving uh, uh, some nobility, the Lombards, and I believe, if I can pronounce it right, uh, the Merovingian um, kings. But um, 
this, uh, I don't know, baron or duke, some, some nobility, a middle or lower nobility, uh, was named Ewan and married into one of those families. But that's all the reference I've got. And it's, uh, so I haven't, haven't been able to find out anything else about it. So I don't know the origin of the name or, the, um, or exactly what it means. But suffice it to say, you've got a really cool middle name, which is good. And it's, and it's almost a Star Wars name. Is it really? Yeah, well, you and McGregor spelled differently, pronounced the same. He's, ah. he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And even with that spelling, it is yeah. a very mystical or fantastical sounding name, you know, like with uh, Star Wars, perhaps Lord of the Rings, something like that, where that could be, that's a very noble, heroic sounding middle name. Not to kiss your butt or anything, but <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm not... You got your start in, in art classes, is that true? That uh, you had a specific talent for, for art? Yeah, when I was a kid, um, the easiest course or class for me was always art. I always got A's in art. It was the only A's I got, but it was what I, it was what I got. And um, when I was in eighth grade, my teacher sent off one of my drawings uh, to uh, a contest, and I won a scholarship to study at the Art Institute of Chicago. Wow. Um, and then when I was in high school, I entered it again, uh, this time on my own, and uh, won again. And, uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun. But art is really not my passion. I love science. I like astronomy especially, but also physics and, and other related uh, uh, sciences, which is why I write hard science fiction. Right. Good. Okay. Now you mentioned hard science fiction, so most folks will be able to... Uh, Expect very accurate science in your I hope, novels. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, hope. I actually in this particular novel, Bones Burnt Black, I had uh, reviewed by an aeronautical engineer um, to make sure that the, the material was accurate. Uh, he was a, a friend of mine. Uh, plus, also I had my uh, cousin um, uh, read through it, and he has a uh, a bachelor's in physics. Wow, that's handy to have when writing science fiction. <laughs> so this was nothing a la Disney's Black Hole. No, what you're, no. no. you're not going to have anybody walking in space without a suit or. No, no, no that. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Good so deal. it's believable. Yeah, it should be accurate. That's okay. that's yeah. That's Nothing bugs me more than to read a sci-fi book or watch a sci-fi movie mm-hmm. and just be like, that could never happen. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. it work that way? Now, how did you like get Armageddon? Oh. That was a movie where they sat around and basically figured out, okay, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're taking all 30 suggestions and putting them in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> One to, what else could happen? Oh, I'm surprised that the Earth just didn't move on their return flight back, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of those worst things that could possibly happen was also the, the putting Ben Affleck in the movie. That was... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he, as long as Kevin Smith is making a movie, he's great. Yeah. Um, now, you, you mentioned, of course, your love for astronomy. Do you know how that... How that came about, or you know, what what in, either instilled the love for it, or how did you particularly um, just act on that love for astronomy besides science fiction? I don't know where it developed exactly. I do know that when I was very small, before I learned to read, uh, I was more interested in dinosaurs than anything else, and I would have my mom read books to me about dinosaurs. Later, um, I guess, and I'm thinking it's mostly because of uh, the, the first uh, Star Trek series. Uh, I watched that when I was a kid. And also the Apollo moon landings um, kind of got me more interested in astronomy. And when I was 13, uh, my dad had a spotting uh, spotting telescope that's used for, like, sharpshooting or something. You look at the, yeah. Well, I used it to find uh, the planet Saturn. And in fact, it only had a tripod about one foot tall. So <laughs> I set it on the hood of Dad's Buick in order to look at the sky with it. And, uh, and I saw uh, Saturn. It was, I mean, it was very small. And it was uh, kind of 
yellowish, pale looking. But you could actually see the rings around it. I mean, you could see them. They were it was small. a spotting scope. Yeah, it was a 30 power <laughs> scope. Yeah. And wow. so you have really That's good cool. eyesight. Yeah. <laughs> Are you like a 10-10 t- here? Uh, well, my eyesight's always been better than most people's. It's, it used to be about double. Um, so about 2010. Yeah, around 2010. But more recently, I've hard, had to start wearing glasses because the eyeballs stiffen up or something, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I've got pretty good resolution. Yeah. But then I was 13 then. Wow. And um, after that, uh, I taught mom and dad to get me a real telescope. From Sears. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it was 250 power. <laughs> and, but it was, uh, I mean, it was kind of, you know, a kid's telescope. But it was a pretty good kid's telescope. Right. Didn't have the fancy draw and fancy stuff on it. But, uh, but I learned a lot with it. Played a lot with it. And learned a lot. Yeah. And, and from there, my interest in astronomy grew. Now, how about your first book? Now, of course, you, you continue to mention astronomy. Could you tell us a little bit about the first book and... Um, as it was, was that your very first professional writing, or was it your first just novel in general? And also, um, with it being science fiction, how did that influence your desire to write science fiction? Mm-hmm. Well, my first published book was actually my third novel. Um, and as I said, it's played at Red Hook. And um, it's got some astronomy in it, but most of the action takes place on one planet. Um, a newly discovered Earth-like planet, um, which has a number of kind of weirdnesses to it. One is that there are uh, there are no animal life, no, no insects, no uh, mammals, reptiles, anything like that. Only plants. How and, and of the me, and of the plants, um, there's only four species of plants, which is of course evolutionarily impossible. Um, and then there, they discover other bizarre things about this planet, and um, the humans that are there. Uh, the first ones are explorers. Uh, nobody's ever been there before. They begin to uh, become stuck in various states, emotional states or physiological states. Um, a number of people are asleep and can't be woke up no matter how much you slap them around. Uh, a woman is stuck in a state of rage and is trying to kill everyone. And she, they've been like this for days, 16 days. Um, the people that uh, a supply ship shows up, that's where the real story begins with the supply ship. Um, and uh, they begin acting weird. Um, the one of them is forever hungry. One woman, a pregnant woman, is laughing, can't stop. Her husband starts crying because she's, he's worried that she's going to lose the baby from all this, you know, uh, excessive behavior. And he's crying and can't stop. And it's just it's get more and more out of hand. Um, I won't tell the secret of why in this situation. Oh, no. Yeah. no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> How is this possible? But you said they had yeah. no bugs, but that plant life. Well, no, that sounds—it sounds like a really, you know, I listen to that and listening to—I've read the—I've read kind of the the, the summary uh, that's on the back of your, uh, the of your uh, what's well, it's on the poster for your new book. Mm-hmm. And uh, bones burnt black, by the way, which will be available black. in September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both of those, both of the book concepts sound like really neat concepts. You, how do you? How do you come up with the, the concepts for, for, uh, for your books? Well, actually, I use the uh, what's the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, that's no, the thing. Okay. I take only okay. the worst things from the list. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> nice. You know, not stubbing your toe walking up the launch ramp for the uh, no. shuttle or anything like that. <laughs> no. But actually, that's, that's very sound literary advice. I mean, what would be the point of writing a book about the, the best things that could happen? Right. You always want to take what's the worst thing <laughs> that could happen. That is true. I've oh, got yeah. two books, and one's called The Optimist Guide to mm-hmm. World History, and one's called The Pessimist Guide to World History. 
And I read the Pessimist Guide, and, uh, you know, I was like, hey, this is great. And so I picked up the Optimist Guide. I only got about a third of the way through before I said, this is boring. Mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> care when they invented ice cream. <laughs> Nobody wants to know the good stuff. No. Yeah, yeah. Take, a, take a look at the news. Plays. I mean, what do they play? They don't play, you know, the winner of the spelling bee. They mm-hmm. said, you know, who... Was, was or it's just a like horrible way, you know. Band, it's, you know? It's, uh, human obsession with the morbid. Yeah. Badness, yeah. Sense, I mean. <laughs> In fact, Lawrence Block once said uh, he writes mysteries, uh, hard-boiled mysteries. He wrote that uh, a novel is one damn thing after another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of sums it up. Yeah. I'm taking a drink no, of yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And that's our swear word for the episode. Yeah. No, I'm just that's right. <laughs> no, that's, that's, Believe me, that's not bad. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just I like maybe I shouldn't tease. Now that that was your first book, or excuse me, your uh, second book, correct? Third, you said that there was third a third book. book. Plague was the third one I'd written. Okay, well, well tell us about the the first two then. Well, the first one is actually uh, under consideration. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the radio. Or yeah. Okay. If it's under it's, consideration, it's it's under consideration, consideration at Bain. Yeah, but I haven't heard anything back from them. But where can people find more information about this upcoming book when it comes out? What's the website? Talking about this one here? Or the website, your website, well, so they can find more information about this new book coming is, uh, out. It's stevecobb.com. Okay. Yeah. And it's C-O-B-B, correct? Yeah. So it would be S-T-E-V-E-C-O-B-B.com. And there will be a link to it on the Requiem of the Outcast site. And I am going to read the book, and um, we're going to do a we're going to do a review of the book on our uh, on our radio show. So we'll uh, we'll have all of that upcoming. Go ahead. Don't and spoil a free review. Of you're only going to review it if it's good, though, right? Yeah. I'm, not gonna, to I'm, I'm not going to get on and say anything bad about it. Okay, okay. All right. Anyway. So, um, we only do that to the authors we haven't met. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that way, <laughs> that way if we, we don't <laughs> have to... Once you say no, then we're supposed to interview. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, actually, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the, uh, about the new book, because we haven't, we haven't really talked about that yet. Okay. Well, it's called Bones Burnt Black. Um <clears throat> It's a, as I said, a hard science fiction novel. Uh, it's set approximately 40 years in the future. Uh, we have uh, colonies uh, throughout the solar system, but we don't have any kind of hyperlight spacecraft. Um, a spaceship is returning, a large passenger craft is returning to uh, Earth or the Earth area from a colony in the outer uh, solar system. And um, <coughs> there is a, uh, a saboteur aboard, a murderer saboteur who sabotages the ship during its J-maneuver. Um, the J-maneuver is actually something I invented for the story. Um, rather than spraying the, the, the space station that it's re- uh, returning to with its exhaust, I have it spraying the exhaust sideways and coming in in, in an arc um, so that it actually arrives from the backside. Um, you don't really want to you know, throw your exhaust all over the you know, right. equipment right. and such. And huh. the reason I invented the maneuver, however, wasn't simply because I thought it was logical. But it was to have, give an excuse for the craft to um, be aimed, at least temporarily, um, in the general direction of the sun. Because when they sabotage the ship, they're aiming, the saboteur makes it happen so that it's at the time when they're going to end up making a, a close pass of the sun. The engines are blown with C4, which uh, produces produce a, um, a fuel leak coming out sideways out the engines, which, since the ship is very long, um, this fuel spraying out causes the ship to spin or tumble, you might say, um, end over end, so fast as to produce um, G's uh, on the on the two ends of the ship, somewhere on the order of eight, eight G's. Oh, uh, you got 
got a lot of passed out people there. Well, what they do is they, because it builds slowly, the, uh, the cheese becomes stronger and stronger. They, the, everyone aboard ship goes to the center, which um, is good because they're not under still those G's. However, it's bad because there's no living quarters in the center. It's all cargo, <clears throat> cargo decks. Um, so, uh, and they're going to pass within uh, approximately a million miles of the sun in about eight days. Um, this means that uh, the ship is going to uh, absorb so much sunlight that it will reach temperature above the melting point of steel um, and presumably kill all aboard. Meanwhile, they have a murderer amongst them who is picking people off one by one. Um, and it's, so it's a story of revenge and murder and mystery and sabotage. That is wow. one damn thing after another. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's that's it's like uh, it's like uh, El Cuparo in space. Is it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, right. Okay. Well, no, actually, the, the cover makes sense now. Actually, yeah, actually, it does, and it, yeah, it sounds actually, like it's going to be very interesting. I'm looking the, forward to reading it. Now you mentioned about uh, that it takes place forty years in the future, with you know a lot more technologically advanced than we will obviously be in 40 years. Now, okay. No, I wouldn't say so. Really? No. Oh, okay. um, the, as far as our actual future, the only difference between this and our actual future um, that I would see is the amount of people and number of people and equipment that would be in space. And I have presumed for this particular story that we discover water in large quantities on the moon. And you know about the the, uh, well, I forget its name right now, but there was a probe orbiting the moon, mm -hmm. doing surveys and looking for water, and water moisture, you know, water vapor. Um, <clears throat> I was expecting, and I still expect, at some point in the future, and I can't predict when, but there to be a space race based on resources rather than just prestige. Um, and it will be run by nations, and I'm, uh, right now, because of the work that the Chinese are doing, and the say, stuff they say they're going to do in the near future, I really expect there to be another space race. Again, based on, if not materials and resources, then on military, mm. wanting the high ground. Because, of course, anybody in space can see anything everywhere on Earth. There's no place to hide. I mean, Chicago, New York, they're all visible from space. Right. Yeah. Drop a rock on them, whatever you want to do. Whoever's up there. Um, well, at any rate, this story presupposes that a lot of people will be in space because there's a buck in it, basically. And because it's become cheaper and cheaper to... That too, but mostly the drive. I mean, think of this: we, how much did we spend on, the, say, this, uh, the war going on right now? Oh, we're we're up to and we're up to the eighty billion. And how many now? Saturn fives can you buy for that? I don't know. How, how much? How many? Oh, I don't know. Four or five, maybe. Uh, At maybe least more. Yeah. <laughs> Titan, you know, Titan. Quite a few. Anyway. Oh, wow. And really, who's yeah. going to? If you go up there and plant a flag on the moon, who's going to dispute the resources? I mean, there's yeah. there's no already. Uh, there's no one person who already owns it all. So <laughs> how do you contest yeah, hi, it? I mean, America already claimed it. Well, there are some people that believe that all they did was claim a, a you know, movie studio in Burbank <laughs> uh, <yeah, laughs> four years ago. But, you know, the United States yeah. never, signed, uh, never signed the uh, space treaty. I don't know if you're aware of that. No, I didn't. The space treaty, well, you know the legal situation of Antarctica. Nobody owns Antarctica or is allowed to by treaty. However... And then they made the space treaty for the moon or other celestial bodies that nobody could own them. We never signed it. Some countries signed it and we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and if we go there, we can own it. <laughs> and plus, if you get up there and set up weapons, I mean, then that means other people have to set up weapons. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Yeah. Damn you, Marcotta. Um. <laughs> as far as the water on the moon, the theory is that in the southern highlands, there's a lot of mountain ranges in the lower, in the 
solving every solved problem, that there are places on the moon where the sun has, has not shown for billions of years. That uh, because the moon doesn't have the axial tilt that the Earth has, huh. that um, there are valleys where a comet could hit. And, of course, a comet is mostly ice, water yeah. ice. Right. And it would stay there for a billion years. And so there could be miles, cubic, many cubic miles of frozen ice, water yeah, ice. But think on about the, the parasites and germs and unknown <laughs> organisms. I wouldn't drink that water. I'd bring a pur- purifier personally. I didn't, yeah, at least you know, I, I'd still be taking bottled yeah, 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 water right. to the moon. With I don't think you're going to be hiking there and need the. Need the and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Calgon doesn't really uh, deliver out there. So yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's yeah. an interesting idea. That, yeah. yeah, that's um, well, well, we it's can not to me. I mean, a lot of scientists have talked about that. That's sure. one of the reasons they sent that probe to the moon, uh, that is to orbit the moon. To try to find some ice deposits. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Clementine was the name of the probe. I remember now. Yeah. Cool. Who did the cover for the the poster? Um, well, normally I wouldn't tell you, but I will now since you've asked me about my background in art. I did the cover. Because that's really, really? neat. It's a, yeah. it's a beautiful sun. Now, did you create that, or did you make the photorealism of it, well, or was it more of just like a kind of a stock picture that you took? Or? No, no. I, um, this is an actual picture of the sun that was taken in, um, in ultraviolet. And I oh, wow. reversed the negative, and made a negative of it, and then altered it with uh, airbrush techniques. <clears throat> the skull <clears throat> was a, a skull that had been found under the ocean. I reversed it as well, did uh, changes to the gamma, uh, to bring out the... It, yeah, my goal was to make the skull look like it's so hot that it's glowing like an ember. Yeah, nice. you, you achieved that, that's for sure. Wow. Yeah, you did. And Which, of course, plays into the title, Bones Burnt Black. Wow, and that's really cool. The reason that I asked the publisher if I could do the cover was because and I wasn't happy with the first cover, the cover for my first novel. And I don't, I don't mean that in any kind of bad no, way. No, most authors we interview actually tell us they... Okay. generally not pleased with that yeah, cover. Yeah, usually they do it from a, it's mm-hmm. created from a selling point instead of a story point. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, wow, that's, because so that, that is so amazing. your publisher agreed to allow oh, you yeah. to. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, that's good. Not well, I'm not with one of the bigger heard. houses, I'm with a, one of the smaller houses, that's why. That's just one yeah. less person they got to worry about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I've got a, I've actually got another question for you. You say that, that your third novel, your fourth novel, mm-hmm. are published, obviously. Um, well, one's published, the other one's published and coming out. Um, you've got uh, you've got your second novel that's in consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about the possibility of your first novel ever getting published? A lot of authors I know feel their first novel is kind of a like a lot of authors. They I, hide it. Yeah, it's like <coughs> they go. A lot of authors think about it and go, "Well, you know, my writing was kind of maybe juvenile back then in comparison to what it is now." And I'd rather not that, that 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 not see the light of day. How do you feel about the idea? Of well, my writing on my first novel was a bit crude, <laughs> clumsy. Um, it had a lot of clumsiness in it, uh, but the story is very good, and I would like to go back. And it needs a lot of cutting, and it needs—I mean, sentence by sentence—it needs editing, a lot of editing. Right. But I would like to go back and rework, or rework that because the story I feel very strongly about the story. It's okay. good stuff. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, we're, uh, I'm looking forward to reading this book and uh, looking forward to seeing some, of, uh, seeing some of your other stuff coming out in the future, near future. Thank you. So. We would like to thank you for, uh, for coming on. If you could plug your website uh, again plug really quick. Plug anything you want. Uh, plug yeah. your new book and uh, the website. Mm-hmm. Well, the book title again is Bones Burnt Black. It'll be in stores in September of 2004. And um, if you don't find it in the store, go to Amazon or something. You know. 
And Amazon is a great website. I love Amazon. Oh, gosh, yeah. find anything there. And, uh, of course, my website is stevecobb.com. It's uh, S-T-E-V-E-C-O-B-B.com. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much. Oh, and for those of you who are listening to the show, once again, uh, it, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to be at our website, so there will be a link to Mr. Cobb's website on and our website. And a picture of him and on our website. Him, so. yep. Yay! He's yeah. one of our famous uh, people. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> oh, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I would see that was a the magic a, of radio. The yeah. magic of radio. See, five, five seconds to us. I feel more relaxed now. <laughs> Do you run commercials for that? Are there yeah, we actually, we, yeah, we run trailers. Hyundai, Hyundai, Hyundai. We really to take Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Tell us about Agency 32. Wait, hold on, I got to go. We never we never got to really Yeah, but they really need to intro. Because yeah, I am the bush well, well, they got to be able to recognize your voice. Remember, they just heard about 20 minutes with Cobb. So. Oh. Yeah, that's true. We're here with Davey Beauchamp, uh, creator of the Agency 32. Beauchamp. It's Beauchamp. actually French. Beauchamp. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's Earl's fault. So. Better known to the rest of the world as Beauchamp. <laughs> yes. yes. Which yes. he will get that the rest of his life. Thanks to <laughs> Earl. So don't correct it. Just go with it. <laughs> that's right. And, of course, that voice is from Mr. Sean O'Rourke from uh, Sins of the Jedi. I'm I remember still here. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's going to be in a different episode. And, oh, and of course, yeah. it's all out of order, oh, man. it's all out of order. This one's coming out this month. The re- interview we did with you is probably coming out in a month. Oh, so, wow. man, look at my, my voice on a bunch of things. It's and, scary. And, oh, by the way, the, the Earl that we're speaking of is uh, Earl Newton. Earl Newton from Fall of a Saga. We've oh. kind of got an extended family with Requiem of the Outcast, extending yeah. to uh, Mr. Davey Beauchamp, Earl Newton of Fall of a Saga. And now, if you would accept it, Mr. Sean O'Rourke. From yes. Sins of the Jedi. Awesome. Uh, awesome. These are our con buddies. If uh, we see oh. them going to a con, we're going to be there too. So. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, yes. honestly, that's the greatest thing about doing these cons are, you know, is making friends and out of, the, out of the guests. Because honestly, you know, even though one of them is a guest, thanks to me, and the other one is just a regular guy, it's, I mean, they're still guests. I mean, they're, they're a whole nother, I mean, they go beyond fandom. I mean, they... I was with, stalked. Not by us. Not by you guys. But, but <laughs> I, I like having the buddy system. Oh, I, I agree. I, I mean, I have three stalkers now, if not growing, and I definitely prefer having buddies there because and then that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's good to have buddies it's at a con. Good to have friends at the cons. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> definitely. Well, Mr. Davey, of yeah. course, uh, you've got your uh, pulp series that you're uh, planning on working on. Yes. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that first. You don't even want to hear about the first book? The very oh, the first, first, but the, the very first. Book, I will actually the very first book that you have not spoken to yes. anybody else about. Yes, we okay. please. Let, I will let's talk hear about the it. first book. I don't talk about it often. I refer to it mostly as my college horror film because that's what it is. Um, and this actually goes back behind why I'm a writer and how I'm a writer. Um, but basically, in college, I did a lot of forensic anthropology work and a lot of forensic stuff. Um, I did a lot of um, various seminars on everything from psychological profiling to crime scene investigation. Um, I got to work on cadavers and all sorts of things in the whole criminal, in criminal aspect. And I brought a lot of this to, to the first book. It's actually called Confessions. It's being pulled off the market as soon as the first Agency 32 book comes out, but it's basically centered around a lot of serial killers and stuff like that. Um, don't talk about it often, but you guys got to hear about it. Um, and now I'm talking about the pulp stuff. Uh, big fan of the pulp. Um, I've been a fan of the pulp I don't know how long because um, I'm a big comic fan and if you're going to be a true comics fan, you know, you have to really, you know, take note of where a lot of it came from. And a lot of it came from the Pulps, even though it was coming out about the same time. But it does predate comics just a tad, or at least your mainstream comics. Um, 
And I dismissed that. I mean, I, I think what really spawned this idea to start writing Pulp was I saw the trailer for uh, Sky Captain of the World Tomorrow, and it just blew me away. Yes. I mean, I was just, this is incredible. I mean, they're bringing Pulp back to life. And the second thing that inspired this is um, I was planning to write freelance for this company that was going to be running Pulp. And they just kept just messing around with emails, you know. We'd banter back and forth about doing stuff, and it just wasn't happening. And my big qualm with them was I was going to have to sign the rights away to anything I write. And that's the one thing I'm a real stickler on, being a writer, is I want to retain my rights. I mean, so I, so all these things were in my in back of my head, and I ended up doing um, my first con, which was uh, Coast Con. And I just met some incredible people there. They made my first con as, uh, as an author just incredible. And I put these people in the book, um, and it's like every, almost every character in there is a real person. And it's like I just saw how they would fit in this pulp setting. And um, if it ever actually comes out, which is actually being shopped around to agents right now, I'm getting fantastic feedback, but nobody's buying yet or willing to represent it. Um, it's called Amazing, Amazing Pulp Adventures, starring Mr. Adventure, I think. These guys got me drunk already, so I'm having a hard time remembering my own titles. These guys rock. They liquored me up good. And Sean, he is a kick-ass bartender. There you go. That's yes. the only way we could get you on the show. Yeah. 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 Drag him in drunk. Yes, yeah, the only way we get anybody to talk to us. Lots of alcohol. Hey, alcohol is a good thing at cons, especially when you have the buddy system. Um, okay, now, what else? After the Pulp series, yeah. of course, the uh, the series that you are currently promoting is the Agency 32 series. Now, yes. Um, on, if you go to the website, uh, which is... It's www.members.aol.com backslash David Draven, which is D. Raven. They make it easier. All right, but you can, you can go there and you can find uh, information about characters. Yes. You can find uh, a description of the universe that yes. is set in. Exactly. As well as a sample chapter. Yes. And also uh, a picture of the cover of the book. Well, a sketch. A sketch um, of the cover of the book. But right now the, the website's about to get revamped. I mean, you'll find all that stuff there, but you'll actually find the actual cover instead of just the cover sketch um, once I'm done. Um, so pretty exciting and the cover was and I, I do have to pl plug Tom on this um, it was done by Tom Fleming um, flemart.com and I wish I could even begin to remember how to spell his last name but if you go to my website there's a link to his but he's a phenomenal artist that's been in the industry for a while he's done stuff from you know for Wizards of the Coast to TSR uh, to White Wolf um, to DC and Marvel I mean he's, he's done everything and it's incredible to work with him because he's a local guy back where I live and I've always wanted to actually work with him on some project and um, this was the opportunity and it's just I think the cover you know is just simply amazing I mean you guys guys have seen it so oh it's great yeah it's yeah. fantastic very good cover it's a very yeah. good cover now I'd buy it I'd buy two <laughs> with real money awesome and I'd steal one Cool. Just because it's that good, so I can pass it to a homeless person. I'd buy a awesome. couple with his money, too. Yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah, that's I'd buy a couple with your money, too, as well. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> I might buy nine man. copies. <laughs> well, now, the, the one thing that we can't seem to find on the website is the actual release date. Okay. Now, we know that you've been doing the uh, con circuit uh, amazingly well. We've seen you at, at uh, quite a For few cons. For the past six months. For the past six months, you've done approximately uh, 60, 64 cons, I believe. How many yeah. have you <laughs> um, Actually, I've been pretty much averaging about a con a month. Um, I think this is my sixth or seventh con, though, because um, some of them I, I double back, did back-to-back. -back. 
um, which I'm never doing again. But of course, I will end up doing again because some of the cons just treated me so well. Like Mobicon, kick ass. I have to give them them props. Phantasm, and those unfortunately are going to be back to back cons again, which will kick my ass. But you know, it, it's great to meet the fans. I mean, without fans, you know, these cons wouldn't happen. You know, people want to buy the books. I mean, I have to give a lot of props to you guys out there because. Without you, we wouldn't be anything. I mean, same thing with movies. I mean, even with the Roto stuff. I mean, if you didn't have fans, you wouldn't be doing this. It, I mean, it's... Now, you, now, the book is supposed to come out this month. Okay. Well, wait. Yes, what, what, is, okay. What, is the, what is the date that you can say? Now, I know okay, honestly, I know that all, all release dates are subject to, ch- is subject to change. So, as is, far as you know... Okay, this is what I know. I approved the cover. They just, two days ago... Of course, it's going to be much later by the time you actually hear this... Uh, but two days from the date of this uh, interview, record, which is the 25th, 24th, 24th, 24th. Um, two I'll days ago, or maybe three days ago now, because I might have crossed midnight. Um, I can't, I'm not even sure what time it is. I approved the, inter- <laughs> the interior layouts of the book, which is basically I got a look at all the chapters, made sure everything was spaced right, um, that everything was italicized right, things like that, which... I hope they are because I only did a quick glance because there were, I know there were some problems when I did the rewrite that I noticed that certain things were spaced wrong, things weren't italicized, uh, chapter breaks weren't in there right, and that's what I actually looked for. Um, so hopefully the rest of it was right because I wasn't going to spend much time going through it all. I know that sounds bad, but they didn't give me much time because it was pretty much like he wanted it back within like the next hour or so when he when it got sent to me. It seemed I mean because we're at the literal the, the literal point of you know it going to the publisher. All right, not the publisher, the, the, the printers. Press. Yeah, the press. Um, and so, literally, right now, we are waiting. I'm, I'm literally waiting for the ISBN ISBN number to hit Ingram. And as soon as it hits Ingram, the book's out. You know, it's available at all the bookstores, all the website bookstores. Amazon.com. Yeah, BarnesandNobles.com. I mean, anything that sells books. We'll, you will get it. Yes, we will get it. Um, so, I mean, really, I mean, I wish I had a better date than that, but we're really we're we're right there. It's we're on the cusp of the release. Um, and as soon as soon as it happens, you know, I'm going to plaster it all over my website. I'm going to I'm going to send out mass emails to everybody, including the Roto guys. And we'll definitely and let you know, of course. Um, yeah, promote, promote, promote. Yeah, I'm also, promoters. also on Live Journal. You know, if you really want to re- read some bizarre stuff that's like daily, you know, you can get to that from my website because I know most of you guys out there know what Live Journal is. It's a lot of fun. Um, give, but give, I mean, give, give us a slice of the book. Tell us a little bit about it. Tell yes, okay. tell us that that's actually an okay. excellent point, Sean. Go ahead and uh, tell I'll, us about the universe. I'll that give exists you. Uh, I'll give you the premise because uh, I think that's the easiest way. Um, the basic premise of the book is, you know, this is um, a government organization, secret government organization, because they always are. That deals with paranormal and supernatural threats against the United States government and its interests abroad, because you know the government is always self-serving. You know, there's always a reason why the government is something, and I wanted to definitely put that out there because I mean if you really think about like James Bond you know he is a self-serving thing I mean he's there to protect the, the British government and I, I wanted to do that because a, a lot of people are like is it like the X-Files I'm like in a way it's like the X-Files but you know these guys know what happens they deal with it but these aren't the guys that cover it up and you know you would have like people like Mully and Scholar trying to you know find out what these guys are actually doing without actually knowing they exist. Mully and Scholar. How much have you had to drink? Mully and Scholar. Scully and Mulder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that has nothing to do with his book. Yeah. We have to clarify. Yeah. There is no Scully and Mulder. This, yeah. this is 
Or any Molly in Scotland. <laughs> yeah. This this is, is it, it's Sebastian Cole. Sebastian Cole is, is the man. Yeah. He's just a regular guy who ended up in this organization, and the only real thing about him is he's extremely lucky. He's an average guy who's extremely lucky. I mean, you modeled all, this character a lot after you, yes, didn't you? Yes, because honestly, the first book, a lot of the stuff that happens in the first book, on a certain level, actually happened. Um, I was in a wedding in England, and some really bizarre shit happened to me. I met some very interesting characters, and they're in the book. Um, and I won't ruin what's real, what's not. Um, I'll make you come to my panels to find out at various cons. Uh, but it, it was a very weird experience that wedding, and. Now, now the the cover art, the the yeah. guy on the cover looks very similar to somebody I've seen before. He looked like a cross, kind of between like a, maybe a love child between Jason Lee and Brandon Lee. I think. Really? Good ad. Good ad. Like the yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I could see that definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, who was that modeled after? Who I, modeled it? Who modeled for that shit? <laughs> As you could probably tell, um, <laughs> I figured you know who's the mo- most average guy I know. And who did this stuff happen to in England? Me. So, I mean, yeah, the main character, in a lot of ways, at least physically, is based off of me. Um, so the self-portrait on the front cover of the book is not misleading. No. At and, all. No, and, he, he is that handsome, ladies. Yeah. He is single. Yeah. Um, His AOL wish list is it. Yeah. Um, but I will admit, modeling for the cover sucked. I can't see how actually women do that. I mean, it gets hot under those lamps, and, you know... I think we, we photographed for about an hour trying to get, you know, various dramatic looks with the lighting and stuff, oh. and it fucking sucked. You should have busted it out Magnum. Yeah. Plus, nude modeling is always uncomfortable. <laughs> now, th- now, this... this <laughs> Clothes now, were put on digital. Let me ask you. You have to be naked. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I need to ask a question. Okay, now. ask questions. I'm better with the questions. I'm going to ask a question. Now, Sebastian Cole... Yes. ...is now the new name for Adventure, is it not? This is like third. This is like a third... It's what, 13 books? It's going to be 13 Okay. Books. Agency 32, the, the first story arc... It's 13 books long. Um, I'm a big fan of the Buffy stuff, Josh's stuff. I'm a big fan of Sharninsky's stuff. And I like how when they write their stuff, you know, stuff that happened in fifth season, you know, references stuff all the way back to first. Um, or second, you know, he, they, they pull stuff. It's, it's almost like a giant soap opera. And the way I see this is uh, with that first story arc or, you know, each story is individual. You could read any book by itself except for maybe the last three. Um, which are going to be very tied together, which are, are going to you know, sort of tie together everything that's happened. But there's going to be an overall story arc, which is what we'll be seeing in those last three books. But the thing is, you could read any of those books in any order for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I really want to sort of, sort of emulate that because I think that's a, a great way mm-hmm. to, you know, write and bring a sense of continuity to your work, which I think is sometimes lacking. And especially when I'm doing a series so big... Um, I want to definitely make sure that, you know, people, you know, will see that stuff. You know, they'll have fun reading continuity stuff because I already, with the third book, I referenced stuff all the way back from the first one already. You know, just minor stuff, but I, I want to, you know, show this as like a real world. Um, and after the 13 books, there will be a name change. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how much time I'm going to take a break with writing the agency stuff after I finish that 13th book. Um, but I'm getting ready to start writing the fourth, so that shows you I'm. I'm hammering these things out pretty fast. It takes me about two months to write one of these because I know the characters extremely well. I know the world. I mean, these guys write themselves. Um, I may take I'm, I may take a break. I might not. You know, it depends on how energized I am. But I think the next story arc will probably be about three to five books. Um, I only have a loose idea what's going to happen there, but there's going to be a major name change. Ma- ma- I mean, major stuff's going to occur, and it's you know just fun. 
I mean, it's my own little toy box, sandbox to play in, and, you know, these, it's my world, you know. And that's the one cool thing about not writing somebody else's stuff. I can do whatever I want. They're my characters, you as know. As long as the cat doesn't come and cover you up in the sandbox, I think you'll be Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sebastian Cole, the new name of adventure. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, that's a good plug. Uh, that was awesome. I, mean, well, I really yeah. like that. I'll admit one thing. It's, it's really weird because we've already, and I don't know any of these people because my agent's handling all, or my publisher is handling all the movie rights, TV rights, and stuff like that um, to the book. And actually, it's a book-by-book book basis, supposedly. And, of course, it's a substance writing, things like that. Um, I've already had to do, you know, the full 13-episode um, or 13-book, you know, huge plot list because we are actually supposedly talking to both um, movie people, television people, and actually, this is kind of weird, but I think it's kind of cool, cartoon. Um, I can't say anything more beyond that because that's all I know. Um, but it was a really, it's, it's a real bitch when you, um, I'm sorry for using that word, um, when your publisher calls you and says, yeah, we, we got some people interested, they want to take a look at your stuff, but I need everything by Monday. And this is a phone call or an email coming to me Friday night. So I spend an entire weekend calling up all my movie buddies, trying to figure out what do I need to send these guys in order to make it interesting and stuff like that. And it was just a weekend I lost um, just doing plot summaries, character summaries. And actually a lot of that work that I did is what ended up on the website as, you know, world description, character descriptions, things like that, just because it was perfect to use for the website. Um, and who knows? If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, I'm plug, not the, plug the website one more time. Okay, it's uh, www.members.aol.com backslash David Draven. Uh, and that's a D with a raven afterwards. You'll also be able to find that in our friends section on our website, RequimTheOutcast.com, the website you downloaded this at. Um, we'll make sure to put... Uh, When's that going to happen? Because I, be I keep waiting for, for that to happen. Did I tell you that it was going to happen before? No, but I'm, I've been waiting. We haven't waiting. had you on the show. Well, I, I, I've already linked you guys. Well, ooh. I linked you guys ooh. the day after, uh, after I'm, I'm Con Carolina. You're going to you're gonna have to talk to our producer. How could you slam him on his own show? I know. I've done it twice now. Wow. Okay. Get off my show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, then, well, then you guys don't get to hear the theory of the first Death Star if you kick me off. Oh. We have to hear the theory of the because first Death Star. Because it involves sex. Yes, that will be coming to the website soon, because I'm not kicking you off. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll make sure to link you as soon as possible. Um, <laughs> That's fine. You know, I'm just giving you crap. No. These, are, these are honestly great guys. I mean, i got to say, at Con Carolinas, if it wasn't for, the, for these guys, the Roto guys, um, that, that con never – I never would have gone back to that con. But after meeting these guys, these guys are just the most phenomenal – Fun people to hang around, hang out with. And yeah, yeah. All right, guys, pay uh, up. Give you, me the twenty-five. You, you, know <laughs> that, you know that Ron McClung, McClung, the guy who runs mm -hmm. Con Carolinas, is a fan of the show. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm being serious here. I mean, I mean, I, I did, I did get to meet a lot of interesting people there, but it wasn't until I met these guys. And I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about Con Carolinas. It just, it didn't click with me. It's like I don't know, something just didn't happen uh, there. It didn't like. Um, like I was very lethargic the first two days in, in, until that Saturday night when I really got a chance to meet the Roto guys, and we just had a great time because that next day, that Sunday, I had a blast at Con Carolinas. I mean, I rocked the Buffy panel. Um, people were, kept commenting. Actually, I forget what her name was, but um, the person that was in charge of the panels, um, she was a really nice Cindy. lady. Yeah. Cindy. Yes, Cindy um, Talon. Yeah. Well, She's the one that took... 
you sound like Senator Kerry. You're flip-flopping on your yeah. issues here. Well, no, one minute you didn't like it, the next, oh, it's been the best thing since, no. since apple pie. It's just, you know, a, a lot happened that night in that hotel room, which involved... <laughs> we can't talk about yeah. it once the which, happened up there, man. Which, inf- which involved, you know, the telling of the uh, Death Star Theory. <laughs> um, but, you know, these guys really got me back into the groove. Um, and I think the fact that I got lost in Charlotte, a town I know very, very well for an hour trying to find my hotel, did not help my mood any that first night. But, um, so it's really your fault, not the con. Well, I'm not saying anything really bad about the con, because I want to come back. No. <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass, because where would you be without the three of us, or at least me this weekend? I would be twiddling my thumbs. Yes, exactly. Yes, I would. And I would admit the same thing. At this point. Yes, yes. Yeah, I have to agree. But, I mean, that, that third day, I mean, I was, I was back to my... Beauchamp self, um, and you know I rocked the Buffy panel. People were coming up to me just amazed by <coughs> stuff I pulled off in that panel. Um, and yeah, I would love to come back to um, Con Carolinas if they'll have me, please. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I I think that show, especially with the Roto guys and with as much of as I as I've had with them and playing off them with um, some of the panel or panels we've done. Where they've been in the audience. I mean, we've just we've had a blast. All right, I the mean, book title one more time. Agency Thirty Two. Actually, this is the first time I've actually mentioned the full book title. Um, the series is called Agency Thirty Two. The first book is called The Chelton Affair. But um, I think the actual title line, if you looked it up on like Amazon or if you go to a bookstore, it's going to be Agency Thirty Two: The Chelton Affair. Is there a tagline? No. No tagline. Sebastian Cole, the new name for adventure. <laughs> but I, I did I did pay homage to Ian Fleming in this is at the very end of the book I do mention the next two books. The next book you'll, you'll see Agency Thirty Two in and the next book you'll actually see uh Sebastian Cole Colin, who is now actually the new black bishop. Yes, I love the, the fact that you use uh chess pieces yeah. yes. as uh and I can't even characters. tell you where it came from. It was like literally a mad piece of inspiration that inspired this entire thing. It's like, because honestly, the first book took me two years to write. Because one, I wrote down these scenes, and I probably rewrote those scenes like 13 times, trying to find some way for them to mesh together. And then one day, bam. I don't even know where I was, what happened. It was, it was just there. It was like that moment of mad inspiration, which also sort of ties into when it happens, the Death Star Theory. Yes, uh, which again will be coming very soon, yeah. sooner than you think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Funny you would use that word, and I, I will be in on that one too. Because when you guys get together for this, I have to be. I have to be in here. All right, thank you very much, oh, Davey. First you. of all, you are an awesome individual. You, uh, I, I tell you, you bring so much fun to these cons. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I look forward. I only to this have one as much fun, and I'm only as much fun as as the people I get to hang out with, and you know, play off of you know, personality wise. Um, and you guys, you know, you guys bring it, you know, and you guys, you know, help me, you know, just be that much more excited about things. So, um, Where's the 20? <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's a good it's My a good next thing. personal appearance will be at Dragon Con. And Dragon Con. These guys are going to be, be here. Too. Actually, um, yes. all of us except for one at, one at this table. Well, Ron We're, won't be there. However, Janine will. So yes, most Janine of the ready. So I, are you guys going to plan to do a Dragon Con episode of some sort? Oh, very much so. Matter of fact, we're going to be walking around recording people. Because we're, gonna we're also going to hopefully, if all goes well, Earl from Southern Ronin will oh. also be there. Oh, we are and getting guys. all of you guys. And together I, am I also for introducing you to Peter Jurisic? You know, Lando from Babylon Five. Oh. And Steve Austin, who I um, from Stone also Cold. From no. Oh, this is the one from Babylon oh. 5. Actually, he's a wife beater now, so it's okay. A hilarious comic now. Um, he, he's going to be a blast. 
Um, oh man, yeah. Yeah, I got some. I got some interesting guests lined up for you guys to talk to. Sweet. Um, Good. Look at that. We got yeah. coming up soon. Uh, will be our Scott Kurtz interview, uh, the creator of PVP Online. Thanks to uh, thanks to Earl Newton, who's at Comic Con this weekend. Oh really? And of you're you're going to have him. Well, that's going to be awesome. Well, we're going to interview him. Yeah, that's cool. But, you know, that's awesome, and that's why we wanted to make you an extended member of the family, just because you've been so awesome at <laughs> hooking us up. It's been <laughs> beautiful, man. All right, thank you again, Davey. Um, oh, you're coming. welcome. Anytime you want me on your show, you can have me on your show. <laughs> <laughs> And we will put you on our show anytime we can. <laughs> All right. Um, and moving on next is our Alan Dean Foster interview. Uh, this took place at Con Carolinas 2004. Um, Alan Dean Foster, if you don't know, which if you're a Star Wars fan, you should, he wrote the original novelization of Star Wars, which <laughs> Davey didn't know at first. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know either, so don't feel bad. But he, he, I don't. He wrote the... Uh, the very first novelization of Star Wars, as well as Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Um, if you notice, the books are titled uh, under George Lucas. That's just a, a I guess it, it was ghostwritten by Alan Dean Foster. Um, Mr. Foster has also basically shaped uh, most of the major sci-fi that we see today. He wrote the, the original movie treatment for Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, as well as now the novelization of a, uh, the start of a phenomenal series uh, in the Chronicles of Riddick, the novelization for that movie. I actually looked at the at the title, or mm-hmm. I mean the writer. It wasn't him. Yes. Isn't it, his, his, the copies I saw did not have him on on the cover as the author. The copy we have has him on yeah. the cover. Really? That's so weird. Because um, now I, wait a second. I think that they're coming out with extended universe titles to kind of explain okay. transition. Because the weird moments. thing is, because because uh, my friend was a big fan of the Riddick character. You just screwed up the edit, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no, it's that's all right. No, it's because 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 I mean because I went I went into this bookstore to show somebody you know I I knew the author because I am had dinner with him. Yeah, sure you did. Um, <laughs> you didn't know him before the dinner, but yeah. I don't know who you are. Just feed me my no, plate. It's because also because he's a, he's a big Riddick fan. I was like, yeah, I know the. Wait, that's just the Alan Dean Foster, and it was like some some girl's name on the cover. Yeah, it must be the one of the extended universe thing. Yeah, it must okay. be just an additional story. Okay, it must no, have been. Alan Dean Foster. Because that's what I thought. Because when I when I talked to him at the con, he, wow. he actually absolutely loved Riddick, and he was talking talking to me about how he wrote the um, adaptation, and he was like, everybody needs to see this movie. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, he's right. It's yeah, great movie. It was awesome. Matter of fact, uh, Ron was telling me earlier, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet. I saw the movie. I really liked it, and. Uh, the book actually explains quite a few of the things more, and it actually gives you a little bit of an extra ending, which yeah. really ties the story together. And the truth is, I like the movie better because I read the book, because the book explains a lot of things that are not. So you really, I, I, you really needed the backstory. Yeah, I, you really need the yeah. companion I, story. To it. Let me tell you what I thought about Chronicles of Riddick. I thought it was a fun movie, uh-huh. but my big problem with it was. It was basically a, and I hate to say it, it was a Conan story oh, yeah. that was put in outer space. And I think it would have been much better done if it was a fantasy movie with Conan, because basically that is what happens in Conan. Yeah. Oh, it oh, ends, no, it even ends the same. Story. I know Conan, when he I mean, sits on that throne, I was sitting there in the audience going, it. "A troubled man has a it, troubled it brown." Me. I mean, because honestly, I hated the fact. I mean, they I love Pitch off Black. My movies. I mean, <laughs> Pitch Black was a genius <laughs> film. I mean, I yeah, absolutely well, love it, it and film. I love the Riddick character, but I had. I don't know. Maybe I didn't like the fact that they put him in such a big universe to start with. I mean, I would have liked to see something more in between. Because oh, I, I saw right. I saw the cartoon. Have you have you seen the cartoon? Not yet. No. I've heard the a lot about it. The cartoon is badass. It's amazing because it doesn't put him in this huge universe dealing with all these you know crazy things. Sure. It's just you know a small slice of Riddick's life, which right. ties together Pitch Black. Yeah, Pitch Black and was a canyon. That was um, it. Yeah. 
And of course, I wish you know they would. Um, I, but I think on on the DVD, they um, on the Pitch Black DVD, they actually do the web ca- web cartoon mm-hmm. where it explains how Riddick got his the silver eyes and stuff like that, which, which I thought was incredible. Right, which is also explained <laughs> in uh, the Xbox game uh, Chronicles oh, was of Riddick: it, I, I Escape like, from Butcher Bay. It's Boy, I tell you, they—they they, it's an amazing game, a lot of fun to play. Mm-hmm. The controls are kind of wonky at first. Mm-hmm. Once you get used to them, you go through them and you kick ass. I mean, it's awesome. got a great story. Um, it's its definitely not What's one it based for the on? kiddies. Um, just basically extended universe. How okay. He, um, what, how he got captured and sent to the prison and he got his eyes flashed. Oh, awesome. And you actually see how that happens. There are scenes where you're walking around with those flashed eyes. And there I are have some... A, I have a question about yes. that. Um, when he wears the goggles, does he still have the flash? How does I, he see with the goggles? I think what it does is it works almost like night vision does. When you have the lights on with night vision, it completely blows out. You okay. Know, you can't see. Well, it works the inverse of that. Okay. I guess it almost puts on like a day vision for him. Okay. So it's not, it's not so intense. Because I know it's eyes. like, you know, when you see it, it's, it's purple. And I thought that's a cool effect. And I was kind of curious. Does he see it like purple all the time? And, if, you know, like in the video game. In the it, game it was, yeah. It, well, it, in the, the first movie it was silver, which was weird. That's right, it was. But, of course, so, it was much darker in the first one. Exactly, and that may be, that depends on how I much mean, light. Because if you look at cat's eyes, you know, depending on how much light there's in the room, it depends on how red they are or right. just how spooky they could be. Or um, how much possessed they are of Satan. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but Trying the, to steal your breath. The, the, game, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the game itself is extremely intense in some levels, where you've got these like little monkey gimps that are after you, mutants that are after you. And no, they did not give us free copies of this game in order to plug it. No. Even if this is probably never no. going to be heard. But you know, know this no, is still I'll, a great I'll, conversation. I'll, I'll but Vin Diesel's the monkey gimp? No, no, he's not. But oh. he did voice the characters and stuff. I mean, they, I, gotta, I gotta give I gotta give him props for willing to you know he did the voices for their cartoon and if he's he was to a producer the, of one of the uh, of the video game also see, to that's make awesome. sure that well, the thing the, about, everything was right. And, and after talking to Alan Dean Foster, apparently uh, Vin Diesel was a huge sci-fi fan. Apparently he's a huge. Well, I can see that with his first movie. Too, so it yeah. just flows, yeah. you know. Yeah. So he, I think he really got into the whole uh, Riddick universe thing. It's so weird how his voice changes because I've man. seen him in interviews, you know, and he's just you know regular guy. But when he you know plays Riddick or when he did the Iron Giant, it's just amazing that you know he could ch- he, he changes to meet the character his voice, which is nice because you know so many. Action a- actors, you know, they just have the same voice. But uh, <laughs> it's nice to see that, you know, as whatever Get character he's portraying, you know, he does have sort of a different voice to go with that character. Yeah. <laughs> Get to the chopper now. I'm pregnant with a little baby. <laughs> it's all the same voice. <laughs> well, I mean, I Danny DeVito's my brother. <laughs> hey, it's not the same in Hercules in New York. <laughs> well, that is I Hercules. Hercules. <laughs> Hear me roar. <laughs> Meow. So, but our, our interview with Alan Dean Foster, this is the second half of the interview with Alan Dean Foster. The other half is a Chrono Radio Special Edition, as we were able to take part in this interview with Nathan Butler. We decided to do it jointly because uh, not only, you know, we're, we're, our show is pretty tight with Nathan, but um, also just because we didn't want to go around and ask the same fanboy questions. We have different questions that we usually ask. We try to bring out the, our interviewer's uh, personality as opposed to the uh, like, standard... Like... What kind of ice cream they eat, or is that those kind of if questions? If we have to go that far, no, we try to ask like what kind of underwear they like to wear. Really? Why did I, they why did I get head? that question? If they've ever had edible, edible pants. I mean, I the meat and britches. Uh, it tastes <laughs> like uh, it tastes <laughs> like fruit roll-ups. You got their meat and britches. Hey, I actually have an edible panty story. I actually have an edible panty story, and I actually could answer that question about you know what sort of underwear. <laughs> I didn't get those questions. No, no, no we right. try to bring out the personality. We try to make sure that our guests have a good 
time where they, they can joke around. They don't have to ask the rigid Shit, I've had misrule kind time. of questions. We asked Alan Dean Foster if he'd ever done a pole dance before that one. <laughs> no, we we didn't, we didn't, we didn't. Oh. No, we didn't. Oh. And I feel sorry for anybody who doesn't get to hear the whole thing. This is oh, my, too damn funny. My, all right, guys. All right, let me finish this. So now, let's ask him, Mr. We, we, we were <laughs> He's being snippy with us. I so did. <laughs> okay, we can be All serious right. for like All a right. minute a for minute him to here. do this. Yeah, finish. Come on, please, please move on. Yes, you can do it. So we hope you enjoy the interview. Okay, that's enough. I'll be right back for this. Oh, I was just going to say, um, getting back to the fans, some of the um, fans that obsess over various things, something that hasn't really been used in continuity is the Kyber Crystal. Now, how's it pronounced? Kyber Crystal. Kyber Crystal, okay. Well, Jackson's Eleven, which is a um, currently running webcomic uh, that's available at theforce.net or jacksons11.com, features a, a heist-style narrative, a um, little bit of a takeoff of uh, Ocean's Eleven featuring Jackson, which is a uh, green rabbit from the Marvel uh, Star Wars comic series. And he's gathering the old gang together to try to find the Kyber Crystal, or a Kyber Crystal. <laughs> so I'm just curious, what's your take off of fans using some of the material that you've created and um, putting a little twist on it? Um, fans in general, obviously, some obsess over minor details. And here, people are paying tribute to you via their own work. How do you feel? I think it's great. I think anything that inspires any kind of creativity is wonderful. As long as somebody is not making money off copyrighted material, you know that's fine, but if you want to do something for friends or for, for people on the internet, uh, just to have fun with it, that's an old old tradition. You know, you can go to classical music and, and say was Rachmaninoff ripping off Paganini when he did Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini, uh, or is it an homage? Uh, that doesn't bother me in the least. I go and have fun with it. Have all the fun with it you want. Just to tell you, uh, this business of the way fans can obsess over detail. I got a, uh, an email from someone who runs a Star Wars site and apparently in the book, the novelization of Star Wars, uh, A New Hope, uh, Tatooine is spelled differently two places in the book. I believe it was Tatooine. And somebody said, which is it? And I, and I trying to think of an answer. I said, it depends whether you're from north or south Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> So that one I was that one I was able to rationalize. You guys can appear somewhere on some fan site as an answer to the great to the great question. Oh my like, god! There's gonna be maps. There's gonna be blown up maps of the surface of Tatooine with the one spelling up here and one spelling. All right, Nathan, yeah. ask your house questions. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm fine, really. I did want to ask about uh, the house because that is one thing that struck me. Uh, the house is built from it was it was a quarryman's brothel. Is that? Prescott, Arizona. Prescott, Arizona was the first territory where I live. It was the first territorial capital of Arizona. It started as a gold mining town. There was a gold strike there. And in fact, people still pan gold successfully in the mountains above Prescott. Um, 1865, I believe, the town was founded, thereabouts. And there's a main street called Whiskey Row, which is still there. It used to be all bars. Now it's three bars and the rest are gift shops and boutiques. The entire town, I will get to your question. The entire town, downtown area, burned down on New Year's Day 1900. People in the biggest bar, the palace, carried the back bar uh, 
huge carved back bar across the street to the courthouse square, and they continued to serve drinks while the town burned down. <laughs> but in addition to Whiskey Row, every hotel, um, which if you've seen Deadwood, even if you don't know Western history, served both as a brothel and a bar and a hotel. Uh, most of them were on Whiskey Row, but there were others around town. One that was built after Whiskey Row burned down, and they immediately went ahead and rebuilt the town, mostly with brick, having learned their lesson, uh, was a place called the Rex Arms. And when that building was torn down in the 50s, uh, all of it was architecturally salvaged, that could be salvaged. Uh, Gus Pabst, of the Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer family, married Audrey Schlitz, interestingly enough. And when they built their house in Prescott in 1957, the brick that went into the house, which is just a simple single-story ranch house, came from the Rex Arms. And that is why we have a house that is built of brick from a turn-of-the-century miner's brothel. We also have, which the Pabst bought from the salvage group, the original red light, which no, hung, out in, hung out in front of the building, although it's wired now, it's not a candle. And so that's that's why we have such an interesting house. And of course, the standard line is, you know, this is one house you go into where you use the line, if, if the walls could talk, they really would have some stories to tell. That is a big conversation piece, I'm sure, for yeah. you. Yeah, we got two, form, a former world history teacher and a world history teacher. I, I'm now from Atlanta. And which is why that was just fascinating to me because hearing all the stories about Atlanta having been burned down during the Civil War and, and how the area rebuilt, I just just the idea of ever being able to be living in a place that has such a rich history behind it in some form or another has always fascinated. Yeah, it's it, the brick is all sand brick as it was called, so the brick is you know over a hundred years old now, really. You live in a former brothel, and my husband and mother and I live in a former Methodist parsonage that's 100 years old. Oh, charming. <laughs> so I have a question for you, actually. Um, non-architectural? Non-architectural. <laughs> nothing about brothels. Uh, uh, no, nothing there. I, actually, I just wanted to... Obviously, everybody uh, who's listening to this show is going to know you from your sci-fi writing, specific, specifically your Star Wars writing. But I understand you write a lot of other stuff outside of... Uh, the sci-fi genre. Uh, could you just kind of talk about that a little bit, about the other type of stuff that you write? Well, I like to tell stories. And I started by writing science fiction, and that's what I'm best known for, science fiction and fantasy. But a good story is a good story. And my travels tend to inspire things that sometimes don't lend themselves to science fiction and fantasy. For example, I've spent a fair amount of time in Papua New Guinea, which to me is about the most fascinating single place if I had to pick one that I've been. And the stories that I heard while I was there and the people that I met and the things that I saw were so fascinating, uh, I decided that I didn't want to transpose them into a science fictional or fantasy universe. So I did a book called Primal Shadows, which is a forge book, which is a straight contemporary novel set in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I've done straight mysteries and I've done horror and I've done non-fiction. Uh, but I just don't... There's only so many hours in the day, and I just don't have enough time to write a lot of the other stuff that I would like to write. I, I've, I've sold a number of articles on scuba diving and just on travel. I sold an article uh, to an outfit called I Go You Go, which is one of the Internet uh, travel sites, on the, uh, uh, the artistic aspects of St. Petersburg, Russia. But there's just... So, I'm not like Isaac Asimov. I do like to do other things 
besides writing. I mean, Isaac's idea of a vacation was to take two weeks off from whatever he was doing, lock himself in a room and write something else. I'm not like that. I'm not, there is life to be lived outside of that. Robert Louis Stevenson uh, once said, you know, books are all very good in their way, but they're a mighty poor substitute for life. So if Stevenson can say that, I, I suppose I can second it. Well, I just have one last question. Sure. Who would win in a fight, Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris? Hmm? Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris, who would win in a fight? Well, See, you, you studied with Chuck Norris. Well, Chuck would come in once in a while and do the class. My primary instructor when I kind of got up in rank was his brother Aaron. Uh, but I can't watch a Chuck Norris movie or a Chuck Norris show because Chuck is such a soft-spoken, quiet guy. I just don't see him beating other people up. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's that's a very interesting question, and uh, I'm not going to answer it <laughs> because One of the eternal question. I, I would put my money on Chuck. Chuck was not Chuck is not a showman. He's very methodical, very businesslike with what he does or what he did. Uh, Bruce Lee was, although he was obviously extremely skilled, was also much more into show. And give me the blue-collar guy over the flashy guy any day. I'm sorry. Did no. you want, we're so horrible. Did you want to talk about any upcoming projects or your website? And, and especially plug your website. Yes. Oh, well, I can mention stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead because well, anybody who's curious about my work can go to uh, com, which won the first Wooden Rocket Award for Best Single Author Website, which is an award presented in England that they now do, uh, for which my webmaster, John Haynes, deserves a lot of credit. But they can find out all about my work and about me, and there's about 120 vid caps. I always shoot video when I'm traveling from my travels. So if, until I get around to finishing wanderings, if people can actually see pictures from some of the trips, please bear in mind that they are video captures from video, sometimes from old 8mm film, so the quality varies considerably. Uh, there's a chronology of the Commonwealth, which is an ongoing series of mine, and, uh, and a wonderful Italian guy named Riccardo Freghi, who actually devised an entire alien language for the Thranks, who are a group of it with writing and gestures. And, and there's really interesting things on the website if you go there, so please visit that. As far as upcoming stuff goes, I have a new trilogy starting from Del Rey uh, called The Taken, which has nothing to do with the Spielberg sci-fi channel series. I got very intrigued by the idea. There are so many books that deal with people who are abduct abducted by aliens and then brought back. I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to follow somebody who's abducted by aliens and doesn't get brought back? So the first book in that series is called Lost and Found, and that will be out from Del Rey next month, I believe. Uh, the other two books in the second and third books in the series are called The Light Years Beneath My Feet and The Candle of Distant Earth. There's a new Flinks book, new Flinks and Pip book called Sliding Scales coming out in November, which is the direct result of a request by a fan. And I'm currently working on the Flinks book, which follows that, which is called Running from the Deity. Uh, there are a bunch of short stories coming out, but I don't know when or where those always seem to run on different time schedules, but there are two that I'm particularly proud of. One is coming out in an anthology called Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad City, which is uh, urban, gritty urban takeoffs on famous fairy tales. Mine is, called, mine, is called, <laughs> mine is called Panhandler and involves Peter Pan. <laughs> and a story that hopefully will be coming out in the new revived Argosy magazine 
which if you haven't seen it is a beautiful new publication uh, which is, since you were asking about non-science fictional works is called Box of Oxen and is about uh, an Israeli girl and a Palestinian boy uh, pre-teen so it is not uh, a Romeo and Juliet type story which is marginally science fiction it's near, very near future which I, it's a novella so that should be out hopefully if it, it does indeed appear in the uh, September October issue of Argosy magazine and that's that's what I'm doing and then I'm going to uh, <laughs> if anybody's around Palau next month in July I'm teaching a course as part of the ninth festival of Pacific Arts in Kuror Palau uh, and then I'm going diving for 10 days so oh you want to trade knives? life is what you make of it you know we all make choices we all make choices and for many years I would have people say you, you go to such interesting places and you do such interesting things I wish I could do that and I would say well come on come with me I'll make all the arrangements I'll make all the reservations all you have to do is pay for yourself and people, oh, people would say oh I'm going you know, I'm definitely going and these would be writers and artists people who have the time to do this sort of thing and a few months would go by and I would call them or write them and say you're still going and they'd say oh yeah I just have to work out one or two things real quick and more months would go by and I would call or contact I can't go I've got to finish this painting or I've got to finish this book or I've got to do this I only had one person ever go with me and that was Ron Wolotsky a very fine artist recently deceased unfortunately who went to Mauritius in South Africa with me but people you know everybody would rather sit home and watch the Discovery Channel apparently we don't even have TV in our house. Well, well, we have a TV to watch DVDs, but we don't have cable. You just need to, you need to stop your life and say, I'm going to do this. The first place I ever went was French Polynesia. You know, I had this image of lying on the beach with the beautiful vahinis and all of that. And uh, I ended up sleeping on the beach and eating a lot of French bread and jam because I couldn't afford anything else. But I managed to spend 10 weeks in, in French Polynesia. And if you want to do it, you can do it. You just have to want to do it badly. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, yes, thank you very much. This has really been awesome. And we've had a wonderful time. Yeah, fun. Learned a lot about you. Well, we hope you enjoyed the writer's episode. This was a very special episode for us because we got to talk to three really great guys. Uh, we hope that if this is your first time listening to Requiem with Outcast, that you check out the rest of our episodes. And if you're a fan, we just uh, hope you enjoyed our our take on interviewing some phenomenal uh, celebrities. So, if you'd like more information about us, you can find us at www.requiemoftheoutcast.com or, because it's easier to spell, starwarsfanworks.com, the home of Star Wars Internet Fan Audio. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away... It is a period of civil war. The Dark Lords of the Sith, led by Darth Bane and Lord Khan, have won a hard-fought victory against the Jedi forces of Lord Hoth. Now, they descend upon the planet Dagobah, where even now the forces of light prepare to face their own demons not before battling this. the darkness to come. Little do they... Can you believe this? <clears throat> little do they know hey, that... Nathan, I say, can you believe this? Dude! What?! I'm trying to be all narration-like here, and you're discombobulating my dramatic juju. What's your damage? Sight's not working. Again. Let me see that. Dude, I'm telling you, it's not working. Hang on. A, uh, Rich? Yeah? Mm, yeah. 
it's not working. I don't know why you even bother with this free web hosting crap. Look, you've got banners all over the place. Pop-ups and the space and bandwidth they give you makes Warwick Davis look like Peter Mayhew. <laughs> Whoops, lost me on that one. It's minuscule genius. Yeah, well, I'm not paying enough to buy a new BMW for hosting, man. We'll deal with it. And if you can't get your new project online when it's done because your web provider sucks? Okay, yeah, then I'll have a problem. Have problems you will not. If Nexus.net you use, yes! Yoda! Nexus.net? Well, let's check it out. Looking for a great web host you are? No further you look. Check out Nexus.net. Oh, wow, man. 1995 a month for a year of this small business package. Uh, 20 gigs of bandwidth, CGI scripting, 450 megs of space, 30 email boxes, FTP access, up to 30 MySQL databases, SSL, and up to 30 subdomains. Hey, hey, <gasps> this one might fit my gal pal's little site. Gal pal? Hey, shut up and act excited, will ya? Yeah, 0.5 gigs of transfer, 20 megs of space, email and FTP access for 4.95 a month on a yearly plan. That's less than I usually spend on lunch. All these packages, I don't know which to go for. You think the big one? Forty-four ninety-five a month on a yearly plan for 35 gigabytes of bandwidth, 550 megs of space, 100 email boxes, 10 FTP accounts, 100 databases, SSH, SSL, static IP address, 100 subdomains, and CGI scripting. Yeah! Dude, do you even know what half of that stuff is? I have no idea what this stuff is, but hey, with this price, I'll learn. But if your project really starts to kick some tail and we need some more... Easy, that is. Yes. Nexus.net will customize a special plan just for you. And the bigger the site, the bigger the discount you get on hosting. Size matters not. Not according to a female, Sparky. Tell other fans about this, you should. We are. Right now. Hi, this is Rich Siegfried. And Nathan Butler. From StarWarsFanWorks.com. We hope you'll consider Nexus.net for your hosting needs. They maintain many well-known sites like Chud.com. And even wannabe primadonnas like Nathan here with StarWarsFanWorks.com. Who host a lot of big files by people like Rich with tiny brains with heavy traffic. And they're also the host for StarWarsWithAZ.com. We've had great luck with the Nexus.net service, and now we want to pass along the word to you. But that's not all, is it, you shameless promoter? No, it's not, my able-bodied sidekick in plugging. Star Wars fan audio creators who choose to host their files on a Nexus.net account. Which gives you a great hosting deal. And us, a new member of the fan audio family. Will be guaranteed an on-air interview for the project creators on either Requiem of the Outcast. Or Chrono Radio to help you promote your project to new listeners. Yeah, it's not as good as, say, a chance to win a new car or something. But it's our little way of saying, hey, Nexus.net comes with our highest recommendation. That website again is Nexus.net. That's N-E-X-C-E-S-S -S dot N-E-T. They can spell net. Shut up. <laughs>